0: Hey, Bean, what's up? I'm going away. Forever! Oh, great! Could you get me a sandwich?
1: <laughs> Don't tell him, Carlos. Don't be cheeky. It's a world of laughter, a world of kiss. It's a world of and a world of kiss.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls... The Magic Kingdom proudly presents our spectacular festival pageant of nighttime magic and imagination in thousands of sparkling lights and electro magnetic musical sounds. WW
2: Radio, your information station.
0: Hello and welcome to the WW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World Information Station. I am your host and your friend Lou Mangiello and this is show number 742 and together as we have been since 2005, thank you for that by the way, I'm here to help you have the best possible Disney vacation experience and bring you a little bit of Disney magic wherever you are here on the podcast, my weekly live video every Wednesday night on Facebook, blog, events, social and more. Please join the community and find everything at www.radio.com. So former Imagineer, writer, and Jungle Cruise skipper Kevin Lively joins me again this week to share the secrets behind creating unforgettable experiences in the Disney parks as he shares fascinating stories and insights as he answers my 10 questions about attractions, backstory, history and nostalgia, technology, and what's next for the Disney theme park experience then stay tuned for our Disney Trivia Question of the Week, where you can enter to win a brand new, hot off, whatever they press it on, prize, and more updates at the end of the show. And if you like what you hear, please share the show and tell a friend. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. <music>
2: the individual who left a box of small furry things by the purser's office please come to reclaim them? They seem to be quite hungry.
0: Back on show 631 in April of 2021, I had a chance to sit down with former Walt Disney Imagineer, Joel Cruz Skipper, writer and raconteur Kevin Lively. And while we discussed his work on an in... The Dangerous Jungle Rivers, as well as the 2020 refresh of the Jungle Cruise. We also talked about Hyperspace Mountain, the Jingle Cruise, the Jungle Navigation Company Skipper Canteen, the SEA, Mater's Junk Graveyard Jamboree, the upcoming Zootopia Land in Shanghai, managing stories for the Disney Parks original content like for Pirates and Mansion for film and TV and games and publishing, and his presentation at the 2019 D23 Expo about the Haunted Mansion's 50th anniversary, there wasn't enough time to cover all of his roles, work, achievement, and insights. And so, after years of careful negotiation with his team of agents, or just trying to sync our schedules, Kevin is back to share more stories and insights from his time with Disney. So please join me in welcoming back to the WW Radio virtual studios mr kevin lively that's right what the world has
2: been waiting for 45 minutes of me talking about the license plates from autopia
0: that's (laughs) (laughs) listen i'm sure you could make the license plates from autopia a fascinating conversation and all the history and story and references that are in there but we ran out of time the last time that we spoke and i've really wanted to have you back on since and With more than two years for me to plan, prepare, and research, it's the recovering attorney in me, I've prepared 10, count them 10, questions to delight, amaze, and possibly surprise you, or really just have us touch on things that we left unanswered the last time we spoke, talk more about some of the projects you worked on, how you approach storytelling, and some of the other things that you've worked on as well.
2: Let's hope my memory uh, kicks
0: in. So- I'm getting old. (laughs) All right. So, question one. I'm going to let's start simple and and somewhat timely uh, because you were a writer. um, So, wait, uh, let's do this quickly. For somebody who maybe didn't hear our past episode, give me the Reader's Digest condensed version of Kevin Lively and your work. Yeah. I started
2: at the resort when I was going to Cal State Fullerton. I worked on attractions as a cast member, like Indiana Jones Adventure. Uh, Disneyland, The First 50 Magical Years, starring Steve Martin and Donald Duck. There was uh, Main Street Vehicles, uh, Tiki Room, and Jungle Cruise. And Jungle Cruise is where I kind of made a name for myself. They sent me to Tokyo to represent Disneyland's Jungle Cruise for a big gathering of skippers. Um, from there, I, I kind of got the attention of Imagineering, uh, people like Chris Guzman and Kevin Rafferty, who kind of became my my mentors, to kind of push me into Imagineering. Uh, finally, when I landed there, I... Started in the what was called the blue sky department, working on things just really out of the blue things. Like one of ones that actually came to fruition was like Adventure Trading Company, and worked on things. I, I pitched a Jingle Cruise, so another one of my first projects, and then went was working there for about a decade as a consultant, as a as a green badge, a, a contractor, part time, full time, uh, just working my way up. And uh, yeah, then I think you recapped a good chunk of uh the things I worked on that i'm that actually came to fruition
0: well and, and the first question I have is is about one of those things, and I thought figured we'll start we'll start simple Kevin, and then we'll work we'll get more uh in depth from there because you were a writer on Mickey and Minnie's Runaway railway in Disneyland, which opened earlier this year, and while the attraction for all intents and purposes is from what I understand, pretty much the same. The queue is vastly different, and I had an opportunity to preview and walk through the queue before it opened and loved this concept of it being a museum dedicated to the quote-unquote real-life Mickey Mouse. Um, Talk to me a little bit about the ideation process as well as the backstory and the placemaking for the El Capitone Theater queue, which is really part of this overall Refresh of Mickey's Toontown, which again you obviously had yeah, a hand so, in as well.
2: Uh, when they wanted to move the our, our, our clone Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway for Disneyland, they knew they needed a different facade because Hollywood Studios, you're going into the Chinese Theater and you magically go through the screen. Well, we kind of have to adjust that because you're going from one cartoon land into another cartoon land. And so uh, Kevin Rafferty started off of the project and he figured out uh, the El Capitune Theater, which is a tribute. To the El Capitan Theater in Hollywood, which is a, like a really cool uh, movie house that's that's operated by Disney, and they have an organ player before each movie. And any any old new Disney release, if you if you're ever in town, definitely check out the original El Capitan Theater. Uh, so he came out with that idea, said that's going to be the name of the theater, and he also had the idea for Mickey Through the Ears, and everything after that was kind of like handed and uh, handed to me, uh, dropped off on my desk. And so I worked with our different creative directors uh, and our graphics design team, props and everybody to help figure out how we bring this Mickey's career into existence. So the first step was, you know, trying to break down those different sections of Mickey's career, you know, from the old like rubber hose arms uh, all the way and like touching upon things, which is something we want to try to do in Toontown in general. Because if you look at Toontown, which opened in 1993, it was built by people who had a nostalgic version of Mickey. That's way different from my nostalgic version of Mickey because I was born in 1985. And so we're going to have different views. So when it came to nostalgia within Mickey Through the years, our team were like, oh, yeah, we got to do Disco Mickey Mouse. We got to do Size, We got to do Mickey's Christmas Carol because that's <laughs> the Mickey we grew up with. But also realizing that there's going to be more generations after us who are going to remember Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, Roadster Racers, and even the, the newer animation styles. So how do we break all those down? That was part of the exhibit. And then the rest of it was really filling in the history of the El Capitoon and how it fit into Toontown as a whole. So who, you know, who started it, you know, we added historical plaques. We wanted to give personality uh, to the ticket taker, even though, you know, she's not there. And how do we tie in as many Easter eggs? And then going back to our generation designing an attraction, um, <laughs> a big part of our childhood was uh, was a Goofy movie with Max and Goofy and, and, and Powerline and all that. So It became one of our goals to try to sneak in as many goofy movie references as possible, only for for our own humor. And it really helped that Ali, our graphic designer, is as big as goofy movie fan as I am. So she was my uh, she was my tag team partner in in trying to get in power lines and pictures of little girl from Lester's Possum Park and stuff into there. Uh,
0: I will confess and please don't hang up on me um, when I say this. I still have not seen a goofy movie
2: on Instagram every single time you need to watch it alone for Lester's possum park. Like that alone is worth your time as a Disney parks fan, but who's been to the country bear jamboree, how many times you need to watch Lester's possum
0: park. And it's not this, it's not the original goofy movie that's going to make me sob uncontrollably, uh, uncontrollably about both my kids being off in college now. It's the second one, yeah. Correct? You know, it's I, I'm going to
2: give you a waiver. You don't even have to watch the college one. Like, okay. there, there's like one.
0: <laughs> I'm I'm very fragile right now, Kevin. I'm not sure I could I could handle that. But it, Goofy movie is something that. Um, it's very much on Just my get a pint of like, hog and
2: and your comfy blanket and sit and <laughs> watch a, a movie about the relationship of father and son and letting go and letting them grow up and but 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 it's goofy that's the weird um, part yeah. right it's it's you know yuck right but he's a, he's a dad too it's great
0: well and it's and I and I'm more interested because we're seeing more you know we're seeing references to to goofy and and power and max in in the parks and it, it sort of goes back to this touching on different generational senses of nostalgia that as we talk about some of the other projects you work on, I think this is going to come up. So that actually will lead me, let's sort of stay in the parks and sort of lead into the second question slash topic that I want to talk to you about, which is my favorite and I'm not alone and mm-hmm. it's the haunted mansion. And you've had your hands in haunted mansion projects over the years in a number of different ways. You, were a co-producer and presenter for the Haunted Mansion's 50th anniversary, sort of bringing that attraction to life for fans, especially at D23 Expo 2019. You worked with um, not just incorporating attraction tributes, but with a team of a cast of characters on Muppet's Haunted Mansion, which is one of the best things. I I think it's one of the best um, original series, best original shows created for Disney Plus Period and you know the mansion now in the, here in Walt Disney World is getting a a new resident soon and one of the things i wanted to sort of really touch on when it comes to haunted mansion is this this balance of a classic beloved attraction with history and nostalgia and yet Introducing something new. You know, you said in the in your in your D23, and and I've heard you say this before, that the Haunted Mansion stays true to Walt Disney's intent of being grim and grinning, but it also needs to be sort of updated and touched on and refreshed for not just longtime fans, but new fans. How do you sort of balance what could sometimes be two different and and maybe even you know, diametrically opposed sides yeah, of the coin. I mean,
2: anytime you, you need to touch upon uh, a legacy attraction, there is a weird balance to walk. And so, you know, luckily I, I've always been surrounded by other fans, other nerds, geeks, who have the same appreciation uh, for what we're touching and, and, and the respect. And so, you know, you have to trust, like Daniel Joseph, our, our the special effects genius over at Imagineering, uh, like Han and manchin is is his third child. Like he he loves that attraction. And so I know <laughs> anything that he, he is if I if if I were to trust anybody to ever touch that attraction, it would be him. Just because his care and respect um for the history and for what it is, uh just because how impactful it was in, in his life, he's going to make the right decisions and work in, in however way he can. Uh and but at the same time, you have to make sure you're always, you know, you got to keep moving forward. Disneyland's not a museum. Walt Disney World's not a museum. And so anytime touching a piece of somebody's nostalgia is is going to, you know, might strike a nerve and it's tough. But you have to remember that even like their version of the perfect Haunted Mansion might not be the original. It's always something to keep in, you know, unless you were there, you know, 1969 or, or 1971 for, for openings of the original like it's probably not you, Probably not the original that you fell in love with. So things will change along the way. And so as you are working on projects like this, you have to just make sure you you think you know you are doing the right thing in, in every decision, taking into account what it is, how important it is for people. That, at least that's how I always approached it. Like when it came to things like Jungle, when it came to things like Mansion. Like a good example is when we were doing the Haunted Mansion Ghost Post, we had to we were doing a whole radio show component to it. And it featured the Hitchhiking Ghost, who prior to that had no official Disney name. Ezra, Phineas, and Gus were fan-driven, whether it be from cast members or guests. I think it was created by cast members. Um, but it kind of just, with with the internet, just you know ballooned into something that people just accepted as part of Haunted Mansion canon. But, but I dove in, man, to every single documentation, no mention of those names anywhere. And so when it came time to do this radio show, we couldn't write the script to say, hey, Hitchhiking Ghost number one, what do you think about this? Gee, Hitchhiking Ghost number two, I'm not <laughs> sure. We actually had to put the names down on paper and make things official. I mean, we could have easily said, no, we're Imagineers, we know what's right. You Forget forget what's been done, we're going to call them Steve and Jay and, and Winklebottom. But no, it's like there's already an affinity for these names, so how can we embrace what has already been accepted from the community and, and embellish it more. And so we took the Ezra, the Phineas and the Gus, and we gave two uh, we gave two of them last names. So we have Professor Phineas Plump, Ezra Bean, and we gave them like two. I wrote really simple backstories to them. Um, whenever when I was writing, I never wanted to paint myself into a corner unless it was like for a really big moment. Don't overwrite just for the sake of overriding it leave yourself some wiggle room to play with in the future. So for Ezra he was a vagabond, he was you know like the uh, the guy you know, like riding the rails and stealing apple pies off the sill. Uh Phineas Plump was a with his carpet bag was a, a elixir salesman, like a snake oil salesman, and then Gus little Gus obviously that guy could never commit a crime, right? So he was he was like to A team and he was he was sentenced for a crime he didn't commit. And like, that's where we left it, but we infused those names and it wasn't like, I was super nervous about trying to figure out what those names were. So what I did is I played with the Mark Davis type of convention, a little bit of extensio uh, naming and also kind of the overall Disney feel. And so looked at Ezra. He's tall and skinny, like a green bean. There's his last name Bean. Uh, professor Phineas plump, you know, puh, puh, sounds good. He's plump. He's short. And then Gus is just Gus. And so Rather than, you know, me, like, stamping it, like, I'm Kevin, I'm the ultimate authority on this, I worked with Tom Fitzgerald, who, again, another Imagineer who has Haunted Mansion in his blood, and worked with Bob Weiss, another guy with Haunted Mansion in his blood, and we held hands together and we said, this is the right decision to name these characters. So always take into account what is already there, respect it, use it, adapt it, you know, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater just for the sake of your own ego.
0: Well, I love that you embraced this fan slash cast member created legacy and lore of those names and not just sort of saying, we're going to do it this way. We're not going to sort of take it up. Because I think it, when those were sort of made official, it, it gave sort of the warm and fuzzies to Haunted Mansion fans. Like, this is what we've been calling them all along. You, Disney, have embraced, you're paying attention to what the fans are saying and you being a fan first, are like yeah, we need to not only acknowledge it, but actually embrace it. Mm-hmm. Quick question: Wasn't there also didn't fans start giving them last names? Like, wasn't it like Phineas Pock like one of the names that sort of was making There's its way around the internet?
2: Phineas Pock within the mansion. I, I think it's on a tombstone. Like there, there was so much fan or not. It's not fan driven, but like officially created Disney content. But before I showed up on the scene. There wasn't anybody like monitoring it. It was almost a free for all. Like free IP, all right. Let me mm-hmm. let me make some books, <laughs> make some action figures, and let me go to the internet to find this name because reaching out to Imagineering is too hard, I guess. Um, and so, like like the trickiest one was the Tightrope Walker because she had so many different names from comic books, from live entertainment events, from um, like graphic novels, things like that. And so we we just had to pull the trigger on on one of them. And so we went with uh, uh, Sally Slater, uh, Sarah Sally Slater. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, eaten by an alligator. So I wanted to fit like that. You could see that on a tombstone, right? Here lies Sarah. Here lies Sally Slater, eaten by an alligator. Um, yeah. Luckily, Madame Leota was already written for us. <laughs> right.
0: Well, and this sort of this was one of the other things I wanted to talk to you about because, in addition to bringing you know the, the dead to life, um, and you know, even doing things like an interview with the Hatbox Ghost for the Disney Parks blog. You also, you know, creating backstories is part of the the storytelling. You can't sort of tell the forward story without sort of establishing the backstory first. And you crafted a very elaborate uh, and detailed backstory for Alberta Falls, the granddaughter of the world-renowned Dr. Albert Falls and as the proprietor of the Jungle Navigation Company limited um talk to me a little bit about that right so now you sort of have to craft a backstory for really what is a brand new character explain sort of the the process and the preparation and the pressure right i have to imagine there's pressure because you not just have this legacy of an attraction and storytelling to uphold but you are writing what is going to become canon for literally generations yeah, to come. Some would say I
2: overwrote that.
0: <laughs> uh, no,
2: that that actually came from necessity. I was technically the third writer on Skipper Canteen, though the first two writers only lasted about a week, um, respectively. Uh, going to they they left Disney for other things, I think. Um, and so when it landed to me, it was during Skipper Canteen, and they wanted to have the SCA room. And they're like, oh, yeah, and we're going to have Albert Falls. And and I'm trying to remember the specifics. It's been years. But like the way that they're like, oh, yeah, he was a member of the SCA in 1899. I'm like, OK, well, Skipper Canteen Jungle Cruise takes place about 1938. So mathematically, this guy would have been old as dirt. Um, and so it was actually out of necessity. <laughs> we're like, well, we need to kind of create a different type of, of vibe. There's also like this feeling of, you know, too much of the white colonialism throughout Adventureland. So how do we mix that up? How do we empower different different types of characters to to inspire guests? And so we created Alberta Falls, you know, originally looking at it like, well, you know, we could do his son, we could do his daughter, but let's skip a generation. It kind of gives us a clean slate on how to play with everything. So Alberta was the rambunctious child of Albert Jr. and his wife, and it was kind of inspired by like the Indiana, jo- the young Indiana Jones adventure, where you know they're tra- making him travel around the world, but he was always getting in trouble. Uh, but what if you know she could have stayed behind with her eccentric explorer grandfather, Doctor Albert Falls, and being raised by Skipper's? Uh, the overarching theme of the Skipper Canteen is the unconventional family. Because when you work Jungle Cruise, you know these are the people you're with, morning nights, hot days, rainy days, uh, holidays. Uh, you're in it with them, and they kind of become like a, a work family. You know, the, you hear stories of, you know, when when the parks closed on 9-11, all the skippers went over to another skipper's apartment and they were together. That's how they remember the whole thing. Because a lot of time, you know, it's a lot of college kids, uh, you know, people away from their families to begin with. So there's a whole family-type atmosphere at the Jungle Cruise already. So how do we embrace that? So family isn't just mom, dad, 2.5 kids. It's whoever is closest to you whoever's most important to you. So if she's living with her grandfather, uh, grandfather's often in adventures, who's there to raise her? Well, the coolest people ever to be raised by would be Jungle Cruise Skippers. And so when you do that, you open up this whole mutual appreciation for somebody who's eventually going to be running the company. She's going to love the Skippers. They're going to love her. And you. it just, it kind of works. And kind of, when we have the, the SCA room at the Skipper Canteen, you know it's open for business. You know, there's there, I could I could walk in from Adventureland. I'm on safari. I can you know say you know party or two, and they could put me in the secret society meeting room. I'm like, well, I guess she's not a member because if she was a member of the SCA, she wouldn't <laughs> that that bookcase would be closed, right? But like, no, she's she's kind of over it. She's a skipper. She's not a member of the SCA. She's not a member of the Adventures Club. She knows members of them, but she's a skipper at heart. So let's go ahead and open that up. We need capacity, anyways. It's kind of the the jungle feeling. Um, When we we were able to update Jungle Cruise, as I mentioned before, you know, kept the story kind of light because I never wanted to paint myself into a corner if we ever had to, you know, pivot later on down the road. So when we came up to uh, the refresh for Jungle Cruise, I was able to dive into that story more. And in doing that to help tie the dock and the Skipper Canteen together. And also, it kind of helped unify the two crews, you know, two lines of business that normally wouldn't even speak to each other. They now also have a, a kind of like a work family going on. And from my understanding, they're still doing like, you know, work competitions and stuff like that, where they, they you know, they give each other tours of the locations and there's a nice bond going on.
0: When you are putting this backstory together, are you thinking in terms of, not just creating something that is going to be enjoyed by, you know, people for years to come, but you are. It's like when you're, you know, you're, you're creating canon like in a comic book character or in a movie character and you, as a fan and as an imagine you know the... the passionate way that these stories and, and the importance that people put to these stories and continuity and the integrity of the characters do you think about when you're doing that or does it maybe hit you later on and you go and you see it in the parks and, and guests are enjoying it and you're like yeah i had a hand in, in making something that's going to be here but for I a think long time okay
2: so i'm going to attack this two different ways the first way is when you're in the process of doing it You you know that's going to be a thing. As I always tell people, I'm even in in projects I'm working on now, I'm like, listen, every single person who's gonna be going to your experience is gonna have a pocket computer with a camera on it with access to everybody else in the world. So they're gonna notice little loose ends that aren't tied correctly, but they're also going to appreciate connections that aren't even necessarily need to be there. But when you're designing, you wanna make sure you're designing for three different audiences. This is a little bit about how the sausage is made. So you're gonna be writing for um Way to look at it is the swimmers. I'm sorry, the waiters, the swimmers, and the divers. All right. So you have the people there who are the waiters. So these are people just dipping their toe. Maybe it's the family from Utah and they're visiting Disneyland every five years and they're, they're going to go on jungle cruise and they're going to see some animals, hear some jokes, and they're going to have a great time. All right. Then you have the swimmers. These are people who kind of know that there's a story going on, right? So maybe they're going through and they hear the name Alberta. They're like, oh, that's like on our board game we picked up at Target. I, so I recognize that name. Um, and then you have the, the hardcore geeks like you and me who are going to get off the Jungle Cruise, go into the Tropical Hideaway and see the paddles from the SEA members and go, oh, see, this is connected to uh, Tokyo Disney Sea. This one's connected to Disney Cruise Line. And, and then you're going to tell all your friends until they go crazy. Um, so you're going to make sure you're designing for all three of those audiences, because if you're designing for just one it's not going to work because you're going to alienate. You're either going to alienate the super geeks, or you're going to alienate the family that visits once every five years. And so you want to make sure you're covering all those bases. Now, I think that the weirdest moment when I was walking through our neighborhood target, going back to that board game and flipping it over and seeing (laughs) Alberta falls. I mean, I I helped, I helped on that game um, in in the early stages, Um, but just seeing it out in the wild at like the target where I get my groceries was pretty trippy. Um, so it's pretty cool to know that it's, you know, where Alberta goes next, who knows? Uh, I trust she's being taken care of.
0: All right, as a quick sort of side extension of this and the things that you do that that exist in the parks, in addition to writing stories and scripts, uh, you also mentioned that you write songs. And I want you to briefly briefly elaborate but also please be sure to include the fact that you were inspired by and maybe were dare i say influenced by the legendary songwriter one mr weird al, weird al
2: was my hero growing up he's still one of my heroes today that dude is <laughs> awesome um but when when uh, it came time to do uh, music for luigi and guida i'm sorry luigi and Mater for Halloween and the holidays. Uh, Kevin Rafferty was busy, and so uh, like all his other work, it kind of landed on my desk. I guess I was like next in line. Next man up is the other Kevin in a, in a Hawaiian shirt who does puns, and so I, I absorbed a lot of his workload when he moved on to different different things. And so uh, I worked with uh, uh, Pixar. Worked with they brought they brought in another writer who I think is like worked on like Grammy award winning songs and. After like one session, he's like, yeah, you guys don't need me. (laughs) And I'm like, all right, that's cool. And so it was me and and Roger up at Pixar and your own, who's uh, one of the music guys at Imagineering uh, and just kind of hammering out. It's because we already had music going uh, existing for the, for year round. And when it comes to things like Luigi's that's written at a very specific um, tempo or rhythm that's set for the cars to dance so going into going in there and trying to figure that out, we didn't have money to go through and like read do whole new choreography for the dance. So we're going to stick with that and just write new lyrics uh, to that. And, and the same goes for uh, Mater's Junkyard Jamboree. You know, it's a lot easier for us to go in there um, with Disney-owned music, tweak the lyrics for that. But they did allow us a little bit of allowance to do things like Monster Truck Mash and and so, but. <laughs> Like I remember, I was like driving home and I'm like, I was making a list of like different potential uh, titles. I wanted to do a, a version of the thriller called trailer. It's the trailer of the night because <laughs> it's always behind you. Um, yeah. Yeah. That one I think was going to end up being way too much money uh, for those rights. Um, I also wanted to do uh it's a dead end party. Like a little Oingo Boingo. That would have <laughs> been cool. Uh, but yeah, we, so we, we hammered them out. We, we worked with the, Music guy, I think he's out in Nashville, who updated all the music, adding you know all the the spooky theremin and stuff for Halloween, and then we got the green light to do. Oh, then we yeah, we got the green light to do the Christmas stuff after we recorded Mater and Luigi. So I flew out to Nebraska to work with Larry, the cable guy, then immediately flew to uh, New York for Tony Shalhoub, and it was like he was starting rehearsals hmm. for a new show called uh, The Marvelous Miss Maisel. Like that's. We're where in the timeline it was. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, working with those guys, they were, they love their character. Um, it was really great to record with them. And, and like immediately we got green light for the holidays. So we did the same process all over again. Oh, did I, did I freeze and am I still going? Okay, cool. Um, and then we, uh, I flew out to Nebraska again and uh, out to New York again. It was much colder this time. Though I remember the first time I flew out to Nebraska, I'm like, oh, cool, you know. I heard like the Midwest has like awesome Halloween haunts, but it was so windy and so cold. And after flying, I always like to walk around. That's why I always went to Epcot when I had to fly out to Florida for business trips. But it was just like it was so bitter cold. I went ended up going into their mall and walking around just to stretch my legs. And I I bought a, a Nebraska beanie that I still have just because it was so cold and windy. Uh, but yeah, th- those were uh, it was really cool to be able to work on those songs and they're still playing in the parks and you can listen to them like on Apple Music and, and Spotify, which is pretty weird. And then I play it for my kids. They're like, Why are you listening to this? I'm like, because I wrote it.
0: <laughs> well, I was going to ask you, you know, do you go to the parks, whether it's listening to music and say, you know, you sort of have this quiet, introspective like moment of pride, like I made this, but also want to show friends, family, especially kids, right? You want to show your kids like This is what dad made. Like this is playing in the park and I want this to be as important for you as as it is to me. Oh man, my kids didn't
2: care. (laughs) They didn't get it. Like (laughs) it was just, I mean, I used to have to make up stories like, ah, yeah, I had meeting with Doc McStuffins today just to make them interested. (laughs) They, (laughs) oh, now they're they're 10 and 12, but you know, in the early days, you know, I was, I've been doing it their whole life. And so like, yeah, I'm working on this. No, you're not still today. Yeah, I'm working on no no you're not. Okay, fine.
0: Years from now, they're gonna think you're the coolest dad in the world. Right now they just probably don't understand.
2: No, it's my my youngest though, like you know, with YouTube and everything, you know, showing her different like walkthroughs of parks around the world, you know, we don't we don't go to a lot of amusement parks just because, you know, the hustle and bustle and you know, them not even willing to go on a roller coaster. But my youngest one, after seeing videos of different people visiting parks, like her her curiosity is starting to uh you know, she would go. Okay, I I'd go on yeah. that one. Like, okay, cool. So, I'm writing down notes of, of where I can take her to try to get her on some rides. But my oldest, no interest at all. She's she's a chicken.
0: Yeah. <laughs> someday, someday they will. Um, but you know, we we've been talking about this sense and balance of nostalgia and classic attractions and new experiences. Um, as as technology continues to advance, um, and, and theme parks are starting to incorporate more immersive elements, how do you sort of take that balance in in a slightly from a different direction, balancing this integration of cutting edge technology while also preserving this this timeless charm and storytelling of classic attractions? Which you know is again, these are both. Rooted in Disney, right? Disney is has always been sort of on the forefront of technology and also sort of embracing classic yeah, story.
2: It's, it, it's a weird line to walk because there's some amazingly cool stuff you can do with screens in, in trying to use the, the next best technology. That was that was something Walt was always about. So there's no doubt in my, my mind that audio animatronics are awesome and it's always great to see actual tangible things moving. And, you know, I think the fans, you know, that's what they want. I think that's part of it is seeing the tangible because I can go to a movie theater and I can watch something on a screen. I can go at home. I can put something on a screen and watch it. But it's seeing those those figures and, you know, especially with how amazing figures can get with like the Navi shaman, mm-hmm. right? You know, the, the Mr. Lincoln figure and his expressions and the way they're able to animate that. I, don't, I, I hope that never goes away and – I know there will be more figures in in the future that that people will be pretty stoked about. But you also want to make sure you're embracing and and using things because media can be updated, which is a nice luxury. You know, replacing an auto-animatronic is a a different story. But media can be updated. And I think it's also a matter of using it the right way. If you're using a screen just to show off how cool your screen Mm -hmm. is, you're not using it correctly. If you're using it because that's the best way to make it look like a portal inside a spaceship on Star Tours, yep, I think that's a perfect example. You know, and then having that that physical C three PO or Captain Rex in front of the screen only helps to blur the lines. There's clever ways of designing, you know, shrouding, framing your screen that make it seem a little bit more seamless. You know, and so I, I think if you, if you use it properly, there's nothing wrong with screens. But also what's next? What's going to be beyond that? What are different ways of using that screen? What are other things that can help you blur the line? You know, is it, you know, how do you, maybe it's a pixie dust curtain that magically floats away mm-hmm. is maybe it's projecting on water or you know, water dancing like they have now at Epcot, you know, really great technology that's always emerging. And I think that's the secret sauce is you're combining all these different texts where you make it so make it so complex that it becomes seamless and that's the goal. I mean, look at things like Pirates of the Caribbean and Shanghai. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody walks off of that and goes too many screens <laughs> just because it's so from what, I've, from what I've been told. It's it's really cool. Um, yeah, it's just a matter. Of, I think using it using it right. But it, at the end of the day, the audio animatronics ain't broke. They're just really expensive. So that's mm-hmm. why they're trying to fix it.
0: Well, and I think to your point, there's something about using technology for technology's sake, uh, as I have seen done elsewhere. Like, oh, there's something really cool. Let's just put it in. We'll build a story around it, as opposed to that the technology enhances the story, not vice versa.
2: Yeah. I mean, look at look at Stuntronics. is I think, a really cool example. There's no way having a human do that how many times a day is feasible or safe. Uh, but having Stuntronics being able to bring Spider-Man to life like that, mm-hmm. Super rad. Now, if you are going to use that for technology's sake and just make it like a bellhop at the, to- the Tower of Terror right. who swings out just because you yeah, have it would just confuse people. And yeah. so make sure you're using it in, in the proper, proper way.
0: Well, I think that's as a, as a, you know, look at my background. Right, I'm a huge Spider-Man fan, mm-hmm. but I'm not the only one. Like you see you see this character as part of a story that is being told. Utilizes technology that you know. You hear some people say, "Well, that has to be a real person." There's no way this could be something that was made by man. You you forget that you're sort of looking at the technology because you're so enamored with the the story and the action that's sort of happening around you.
2: It, Tokyo's Jungle Cruise uses projection mapping in a beautiful way. Mm-hmm. If you've ever you know watch a YouTube video of that, where you walk in into the temple's falling apart, but then a magical spirit brings everything back to like mint condition right before your eyes. But then you leave the temple and you're surrounded by, you know, elephants. And Mm -hmm. so it's that combining. So you want to have a balance in there, but yeah, don't be afraid of technology. Embrace it. Just be
0: smart with it. I think about places like mystic Manor, right? Where the story and the characters and the music and everything else is sort of the foundation and the thing that I love and, and why I think mystic Manor is, is arguably one of, if not the overall best attraction, anywhere. But it's the technology that's sort of sprinkled on top of it that sort of just makes the experience that much better. Yeah.
2: You know, it's funny, though. It's, you know, people are like, oh, too many screens. But then you go, ah, remember Circle Vision? Those were the days.
0: (laughs) But I think sometimes we go other places that shall remain relatively nameless, but you can sort of, you know, that there there's a lot of black boxes and there's a lot of screens and it sort of feels like the same thing over and over again because they've got this technology that they just want to leverage as much as they can, but the stories don't carry the the, the technology itself. Right, the technology sort of can't live on itself just because the first time you see it, it's pretty cool.
2: Yeah, but, but they're also doing amazing things like on on the motorcycle roller coaster of the park that shall remain remain <laughs> nameless. You know, they have the beautiful figure of the yeah. larger than life man with a beard. Who whose copyright we shall not infringe upon, um, and, and you know, even having those those simple figures of unicorns and things mm-hmm. it can come to life. So I think it's a matter of finding those the best avenue. But also, you know, for for things they're doing, is there is there an easier way to bring the the, the non copyright infringing yellow jelly bean men to life? <laughs> right. I mean, they're they're so animated, and like just they're, that might be the best avenue for, are the best medium for that storytelling.
0: Well, and you, you know, you, you mentioned his name more than once, which is one of the things that, that I love and appreciate about you because, you know, we don't forget that it was started by a mouse, but instead by Walt Disney and his legacy is, you know, to say it's profound is, is the understatement of the year, but it's also enduring from your perspective, um, you know, personally connecting with, the Walt philosophy of storytelling and creativity and how you apply those those to those principles to the work that you do, right? Sort of never forgetting sort of where it came from and and the foundation that not the stories and the technology laid, but Walt did as well. How much of of Walt sort of is and was present for you personally and sort of collectively in decisions and stories that, that you were crafting and telling?
2: Well, I think I mentioned this the last time we spoke, but, you know, I, I have a... Earlier we were talking about, like, you know, how do you work on a legacy attraction? You know, Aren't you afraid of rocking the boat? Things like that. But, you know, people always say, like, oh, what would what would Walt say if he were to walk around Disneyland today? And I think the number, th- number one thing he would say is, what's that still doing here? <laughs> right. I, I built that mountain...
0: That would surprise a lot of people, I think, to hear you yeah. say that. Yeah,
2: like I built that mountain in 1959. Can't we do something <laughs> – can't we make it bigger? Can't we do something, you know, flashier? Um, you know, it's – you know, I love the Tiki Room, but the Tiki Room was almost like a play test for his audio animatronics. I was, you know, got it – he would walk in and be like, oh, all right. So you made it shorter? That's it? <laughs> right. Oh, you cut you cut some songs? Okay, I, I understand that. Yeah. Um, But there's also, like, I would love to to take Walt on something like Mystic Manor, Mm because I I think he would walk out and be like, you know, he wouldn't compliment you because that wasn't his thing. But he'd say, that works. Um, And so it's, yeah, it was, that was, it was the constant reminder, because, you know, there are outside forces who, you know, don't touch, don't touch my nostalgia. I think we mentioned it last time, you know, a lot of thought, a lot of things are like at Disneyland, especially, they're like visiting grandma right? It's warm. It's comforting. You go there, you know, the smell, you know, you you have your little routines. And so if you treat grandma with respect, you know, you give her like a new dress, you give her, you know, maybe get her hair done real nice. People are going to be more willing to accept it. But if you take grandma in for like extreme makeover and get her like face tattoos and like a pink (laughs) mohawk and and yeah, people are going to be a little bit more jarred. And so I think it's a matter of, you know, reminding yourself you can you need to go in there but you need to treat it with respect Mm -hmm. um but also remember that you know the guy who started this place he would have changed all this 10 times over by now i mean look at look at how many times tomorrowland itself Mm -hmm. was changed when he was around how many times jungle cruise was changed when he was around um yeah I, i think yeah i think he'd be impressed that you know the sun never sets on the magic kingdom but also at the same time it's like Still here? All right. Let's uh let's get working on that. And then he would have a job number for somebody to uh to start bulldozing things the next day. The man was he was constantly moving.
0: Yeah, you said you know, the that it was Disneyland was never meant to be a museum and you know from the very beginning he said, Look, whenever I go on a on a ride, I'm I'm looking for ways to improve things, right? I'm always looking to sort of make things better, even if it means changing it. So when people say, Well, Walt wouldn't have wanted this wouldn't have wanted it this way that may not necessarily be true right because he was always looking to not just innovate but improve on the overall and individual guest experience
2: yeah I mean it's it's even fair to say like what would Disneyland even look like if if Walt survived another 20 years I mean when he was when he passed he was working on a city on like a on a totally like mind-blowing concept of a brand new city of progress. And so, how much attention would he have kept on on theme parks and rides yeah. like that? Would he have transitioned Disneyland into being its own city, like a like a true experimental prototype community of tomorrow West? Who knows? Um, but it's something that we'll never know. So it's always gonna be, it's always gonna be a fun game, you know, for people. It's a good conversation starter and <laughs> a good fight starter sometimes, <laughs> I guess. Um, um, you know, what would Walt say? You know, what would Walt do? Nobody knows. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean it's been what what year is it he's been gone a few years <laughs> who knows i mean the world has changed yeah. a lot since he's left um so who's to say
0: well and you we sort of talked directly and and uh, alluded to you and and and, walt and and his the inspiration sometimes that that walt might have had to make changes or come up with things what about for you uh, in your years of designing and developing and storytelling are there any sort of surprising or funny sources of inspiration that you've drawn when you are developing stories for attractions or restaurants or event and then how do you maybe translate these we'll call them unconventional ideas into the disney magic that we as guests expect
2: oh man i don't even know if i could answer this one it's (laughs) I'm trying, I'm digging so deep into my brain right now, but there's like every little, every little bit of silliness, like was usually sparked by a really dumb idea. I had that I blurted out in a meeting and people just ran with it to my surprise. <laughs> um, I, I can't think of anything right off the top of my head about that.
0: Because I have to imagine, you know, you're home, you're with your kids, you're you're doing something in the garage, you're in the car somewhere, and you get this – what you probably think is a wacky, funny idea. You're like, how am I possibly going to get this thing that is making me laugh or I think this is going to be really cool into an attraction where maybe it doesn't seem to fit – and then walking into that creative meeting and imagineering and standing up in front of the whiteboard going, OK, I've got this great idea. And it came when I was in the shower and I had to run out of the shower and somehow you know, write it down as quickly as I could.
2: So good news and bad news. I thought of one. That's the good news. Bad news. It's in something that never come to, came to fruition. So I can't talk about it, which sucks because right. this, I mean, this 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 project was my white whale. Like we were so close when COVID hit to, to working on it. Um, I'm just going to tease like, that's it. Like guys, if there was ever a Kevin project to ever Kevin,
0: this wasn't going to be it.
2: And I had some bonkers, crazy, stupid ideas. Um, but actually it was, it was in that meeting um, that it was in, it was in a meeting for that project to kind of give you an idea of, of my brain set. You know, the whole time I was at, at Imagineering, I think it goes the same for a lot of people that there's a little bit of imposter syndrome that kind of lingers in the back of your brain, and so we were, we were talking and we were and we had our artist there. It was just a brainstorm, and the artist had his iPad out. It was uh, Ethan Reed, amazing artist. Um, I, I called him my Mark Davis because you know wow.
0: that's high praise. yeah. That's high yeah breeze. beautiful
2: gag gag artist. He designed all Duffy's friends and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, so working. We were sitting there and I, I said something and then he, he whips out his iPad and t- 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 draws it really fast. And I'm like, oh, man, like I, I don't know how you how you do that. That's it's amazing. It blows my mind that I'm in a meeting that I can say something stupid. And then you sketch that out really fast. Like, I, I don't get it. And they everyone looked at me like, Kevin, like. That's how we feel about you and your puns and your jokes. And I was like. Oh, shit, I am supposed to be here. <laughs> right. Oh, I cuss. Yay, I'm with Alice Davis now.
0: That's right. I was going to say, this is going to, to be yeah. this is the second time I'm going to have to. <laughs> um, So, but you, you that sort of brings me to another question. I know it's sort of the, the relatively impossible one, but you're talking about attractions that are sort of the most Kevin attraction of, you know, attractions. With such a diverse portfolio of projects that you've worked on, is there one experience, one attraction, one story, one character that that you worked on that you've maybe felt, we'll call it a deep personal connection to. And what is it about that, that in your mind and your heart makes it stand out from the rest?
2: So it's going to stink. I tell you this because nobody can experience yet, but, but Zootopia in Shanghai is, it was the first big project I worked on from ground zero. Everything else prior was a lot of refreshes or things, you know, you know, holiday, holiday overlays, or, you know, we have an existing building. We need to plug stuff. Like that whole process of Zootopia starting from ground zero, trying to figure out what evil, like what story were we going to tell? Is it going to be Zootopia? Is it going to be something else? You know, starting from that level and then, knowing that it's being built right now. And I, I can't wait for those YouTube videos to come out. Um, but that land is going to be something special. And I think everyone fans are going to uh, st- start booking their travel to Shanghai as soon as, as soon as stuff starts coming out. If if it ends up, if it ends up half as cool as the mm-hmm. concept art was when I left, it's going to be amazing. The only shame is like, <laughs> at least for, for me and probably most of your audience is that a lot of it's going to be in in Mandarin. Mm -hmm. And so, but, but the whole, the whole spirit of what Zootopia is and everything I think is going to carry over and people should start getting pumped about that. But I'm, I'm super proud of being able to take that one from literally a blank sheet of paper, blank whiteboard. And knowing that it's, it's, I, I don't know when the opening date is, but it's coming up and it's going to be epic. It's going to be, it's going to, it's going to be
0: cool. I'm really happy to hear you say that because I, I love that film. I love that story. I think the, the placemaking is perfect for a theme park experience. So to hear and see your excitement and enthusiasm really sort of reinforces it for me and, and hopefully being able to get out there again and see it in person.
2: No, um, it's, it's great, too, with with the placemaking. Now that you say that is one of our designers uh, was uh, Morgan Richardson, who uh, he was, he started as an intern with us on Adventure Trading Company, and we're still friends to this day. Uh, but he is, nobody loves animals more than that guy. He's, he, he does art shows with Joe Rohde and stuff for rhino conservation. Uh, he was working, he's not imaginary anymore. He's working on zoos and, and things like that. But his knowledge of animals and and being able to draw inspiration from you know characteristics of different Of different animals that you'd find in Zootopia that might not even that might not even have any screen time but knowing that they fit within that world is going to be pretty awesome so being able to you know it's that philosophy of what if that camera when Judy was in the middle of the hub had just panned to the right a little bit what would you have seen and so he was able to open up that can of worms and the placemaking is going to be fantastic
0: yeah, this sort of open world environment that Zootopia allows you to work through and, and get creative with has to be incredibly freeing from a storytelling perspective. And, and as a guest perspective, not knowing, like you said, what sort of exists beyond the four corners of that screen is is equally as exciting. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, uh, the creative director was awesome. And the, the, the designer for the, for the attraction and everything was everyone who was a very collaborative it was an excellent opportunity, even working with writers from China to make sure that our jokes land. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, translating, writing, you know, writing puns <laughs> for a different language, not necessarily my strong, my strong suit. <laughs> um, but we had an amazing uh, writer work with us uh, named Chongqing, and she comes from like an immersive theater background, but she, she was pretty dang funny. And she was able to do, like, take what I wrote, tweak it for the Shanghai audience and hopefully... There's some giggles going on there.
0: Yeah. All right. So I, I promised you and our friend, the listener, who's virtually sitting next to us, ten questions. I think this is actually question number ten. What do you think um, the future holds for the theme park experience? Um, coming at it from a an imagineering perspective, a storytelling perspective, a guest perspective. Again, this balance of the needs and the wants of a generation of guests that's looking for more than a passive experience, right but one instead that includes interactivity and technology and immersion immersion, and I think a little bit or a lot of bit of personalization as well
2: yeah it's you know as I mentioned before, it's writing for those three different audiences, but I do think those divers that audience is getting bigger and bigger and people who want to have those personalized experiences. Um, but how do you make sure you're, you're designing those to not alienate those people just dipping their toe in there? And I think the nice part about the industry right now, there's a big rebound after people were cooped up in their houses for how many years, you know, it's people want experiences, they want to get out, they want to do things. And this is like the perfect time. This could be a whole new renaissance for the theme park, mm-hmm. for, for the theme park industry and even stuff around the world. Like, you know, if, if you're a Disney Parks fan, yeah, there are Disney parks around the world, but there's also like a really, there's a handful of really great regional parks in in places you'd never even consider. So, you know, even if like like one day you're like, I want to be an Imagineer, like start, you know, look past the Disney, past the Universals, and start looking at like what the smaller guys are mm-hmm. doing. There's uh, parks in, let's say, like France, Spain doing some beautiful stuff. Um, so I, I think. You know, rising—what's the expression? Rising tides, you know, help everybody out, or whatever it is. But you know, I'm, i always—I always fumble that one. I think but, they, lift, know, all the they tides, lift all lift boats from the rising tide. They lift all boats. That's <laughs> it. Yeah. So I mean, if you know, if somebody over here is going to start upping their game, that means Disney's going to up their game. If Disney's going to up their game, that means Universal's going to up their game. Mm-hmm. Which means some park in, I don't know, Australia is going to up their game. And so everyone is just going to start. It's going to get better and better and better. And I think, uh, I think that's promising for the world of theme parks. You know, it's you know that we've seen experiments and doing like super, you know, deep dive type things like Galactic Star Cruiser, and you know there was an audience for it. I don't know how how universal it was. You know, you know that family who goes to Disney World once every five years. I don't think they were you know booking it because you know I want to go on Haunted Mansion, I want to go on Pirates. I don't want to you know have solely a, a Star Wars experience. Um, but yeah, it's, there's other things like that. There's like a castle in Europe that has a whole Harry Potter type experience mm. where everybody gets to go live in a castle. That's a wizard school. I, I think it's not IP specific, but it's, you know, living out live action role playing like that. And so how is that going to, to transform? Then there's always, I don't want to say the threat because I, a, a virtual reality, mm-hmm. but as long as those headsets keep costing as much as they are, I I think that's going to be, <laughs> a major major barrier, a big hurdle for people to try to dive into that. And I I hope it doesn't go that way. Because I like I like the tangible. I like seeing those figures. I don't like everything on the Mm -hmm. screen. Um there was that there was like Magic Kingdom game or Disneyland game where you got to walk around and it was super weird. And it was like (laughs) they had the image of like a little kid doing this and on the screen they are hugging a princess. But I'm like, there's nothing there. There's no like they're not really hugging Cinderella, they're hugging air, and there's a digital <laughs> image of Cinderella. There's something really weird about that. But I think as long as you have the opportunity to go up there and hug Mickey Mouse, you know, Disney parks are, are going to continue to survive because there's always going to be that want, that need to get out there and go on a jungle boat, to go inside a haunted house, to go blast off in space. And as long as you know you have these amazing storytellers doing their thing. You know, <laughs> I, in an ideal world, just push all the paperwork to the side, write these guys a blank <laughs> check. Cause I'm pretty sure you're going to get a return on investment. Right. Um, so, but, but that's an ideal world. Um, uh, but yeah, it's everyone, everyone I know who I used to work with big, big parks fans. They, they always have what's best in their, in their, in their scope. They, they want to do what's right, but you also have to work within bounds. I'm just rambling at this point. Um. But yeah, it's I, I think I think everything's going strong. I don't I don't see theme parks going away. You know, they took a major hit during COVID, but what did it? And I think they're bouncing back stronger than ever, which is really cool to see.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, when we talk about technology, it's not something that, that should be shied away from or feared. I think the next few years, not just the integration of virtual reality and augmented reality, but artificial intelligence and how that might start a Start having having to play a part in the storytelling experience, or the sort of the 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 technology background of the storytelling experience is going to be very very interesting to see and and hopefully be able to um, pay witness to. Um, Kevin Lively, I could talk to you all day because you are just a font of of knowledge, and I just love the insight into the process um, and I love the fact that your passion not just as a storyteller but as a uh, a fan and an enthusiast really comes through uh, all right very quickly tell people yeah. where they could find you and all of the good stuff that you do that you're continuing to still do
2: oh yeah so um I, I'm doing a consulting work now if you ever need a uh, work done for your theme park or museum or anything like that just go to kevinlively.com it also, gives you an idea of things I've worked on in the past. Uh, I'm lively land across most socials, not really on X anymore. Kind of just <laughs> let that do its thing. Um, yeah, uh, I check messages on there once in a while, but other than that, um, also uh, Skipper Kevin Art on Instagram. I, I do art on the side. I've donated stuff for uh, like, like lose uh, make a wish auctions and stuff like that. Uh, I have a the holiday season's coming up, so I'm gonna start doing a lot of uh auctions for toys for tots, so that's that's, that's what awesome. I do. Yes, yeah, so we every year I auction off stuff on my Instagram and save all the money and then take it and then just buy a whole bunch of cool stuff like on Black <laughs> Friday and stuff for, for kids, nice. which is great because it lets me buy toys, right? <laughs> but I get to give them to somebody else, So I, at least I get the the emotional high of being able to buy toys. Uh, even if I don't get to keep them myself and you make um, you make a so bunch yeah. of
0: really cool stuff um and and that I and I love watching you sort of roll out some of the different and, and unique and one-of-a-kind designs that you do with some of those carvings of the different animals
2: uh, yeah uh dot check it out it goes to my Etsy store uh lots of uh i got hippos on there I got I actually had I have two hippos sitting in both boat houses at the jungle cruise uh so I gave them to the props guy to to hide in there so if you <laughs> Go through the jungle cruise, queue the boathouses, see so if you a little tiny like six inch carved hippo. Oh, that's that cool. Was, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta I have to go
0: look. Yeah, they have to. Go,
2: yeah, I think I think for you it's gonna be like an Alberta's office, um, unless unless it get blew away in, in, a, <laughs> in one of your storms <laughs> that you guys have every year after. Uh, yeah, so check it out. I got paintings, prints, stickers, different things like that. Um, yeah, it just, it's just my little side hustle. It's it's a hobby that just um, funds itself. Like whatever I sell, I just buy more art supplies and it's how I keep sane.
0: Cool. I will, uh, I will link to all of that in the show notes. Um, Skipper, Kevin, I appreciate not just your time again tonight, but everything that you've done to literally make and share the magic with me and my family and our extended, you know, Disney-loving family, literally uh, from around the world. Quick lightning round! I promise you ten questions, sure. but I super fast. What is the yeah. best Disney park worldwide? Oh, Tokyo Disney Sea. We just bonded in a big way. What is the best Disney attraction worldwide? Oh, um,
2: the original Haunted Mansion, or Rise of the Resistance? Only because <laughs> it's. It's technologically cool, but Haunted Mansion itself is just it's classic. It has it checks every single Disney box.
0: Best restaurant or dining experience? Let me see.
2: Skipper Canteen only for the ambiance.
0: Best individual food, drink, or snack item.
2: Oh, the Kungaloosh at at Skipper <laughs> Canteen is the best dessert. I love that. The only problem is it's too small. It needs to be like four times the size. <laughs> Uh, favorite character and why? If you're going classic, you got to say Goofy. Though you know, I, I try to I try to say I'm, I'm like Goofy, but I'm probably more like Donald. Let's be honest.
0: And I think you answered what what I wanted to sort of be my final question for you is if if you could take him anywhere eh, on a Disney property, where would you take Walt and why?
2: Um, let me see. Probably Tokyo Disney see That'd be interesting. I mean, but also taking him back to Disneyland. Um, that's just, that's for my own personal greed. I don't think it would benefit him at all. But I would just <laughs> be able to say I can walk around Disneyland with Walt. Um, or, you know, we can go to Alani if he's paying for it. That'd be, <laughs> I'm sure he can pull some strings. Um, <laughs> Or we do that—that that super trip that takes an airplane around the world. There we go. Yeah, right. That's my cheat answer. <laughs> Skipper yeah.
0: Kevin Lively, I really, I sincerely appreciate you and your time. Uh, thank you for joining me once again.
2: Oh, hey, I got an idea for the next show. Lay it on me. You and I next time we meet, uh, we're gonna do a movie review of a goofy movie. Done,
0: done, <laughs> and I promise it won't take two years in yeah. between. <laughs> Walt Disney World trivia question of the week where you can test your knowledge about Walt Disney World history, see how well you pay attention to the details in the park or maybe identify a sound clip or audio file from an extinct or current attraction. If you know the answer, you can enter for a chance to win a prize package. And this week's trivia contest is once again brought to you by you and the other members of the WW Radio Nation that help bring every episode of the show to life Every live broadcast, the contest and giveaways are all thanks to you. You can find out how you can help the show for as little as a dollar per month and get cool exclusive rewards every month, like scavenger hunts, trivia quests. We do a monthly group video call, get access to our private Facebook group, their shirts, stickers, monthly care packages, a couple things that I'm working on that I haven't announced yet and a lot more and I love being able to give back to you and show my appreciation each and every month I want to thank some new and longtime members of the nation family because that's what we are Mary Purvis Andrew Klein Tyler Gina Candiotti, and Corey Morris thank you thank you thank you none of this happens without you you can find out how you can help the show and in turn our dream team project because a portion of the proceeds of your contribution does go to the Make-A-Wish Foundation of America Thanks to you, we've raised more than $550,000. Again, to learn more, join the Nation family, visit www.radio.com slash support. Now, before we get to this week's question, let's go back, review last week's, and select our winner. So last week, I took you to Epcot, not for a food festival, but back in time because I wanted to know what opening day Epcot attractions still exist. What October 1st, 1982, wow, that was a long time ago, Epcot attractions still exist, thanks to all of you who entered, got this one correct, and even though Epcot has gone through a lot of changes in this 18 plus 23, in this past many, many years, the only opening day attractions that you can still enjoy are Spaceship Earth, Living with the Land, The American Adventure, and Impressions to France. France, France, Impressions to France. Now I know some of you said O oh, Canada, but technically O oh, Canada is now Canada far and wide. And even though the other attractions might have also changed a little bit, they are still pretty much the same opening day pavilions and attractions as they were. Anyway, I took all the correct, or mostly correct, entries, randomly selected one, and last week you were playing for a WWE mug, a pin, and a mystery prize, and last week's winner, randomly selected is. Jody McDonald, so Jody, congratulations. I'll get your prize package out to you right away. If you played last week and didn't win, that's okay. Cause here's your next chance to enter this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge and an opportunity to win a brand new prize. Inspired by Kevin, we're going to go deeper into the jungle because I want you to tell me what element or prop or set piece in the Jungle Cruise has a direct connection to the Great Movie Ride. What part of the Jungle Cruise has a direct connection to the Great Movie Ride? May it rest in peace. Anyway, you have until Sunday, September 3rd at 11.59 p.m. Eastern to go to www.radio.com, click on this week's podcast, and this week, you're not playing for a mug, you're not playing for a pin, you're playing for a brand new prize, a WW Radio 3D Keychain. And yes, I was tempted, but I did not, you're welcome, do a bad Waldo 3D impression from Muppet Vision 3D. I just got these in. You will be the very first person to win one of these new keychains. They're big, they're soft, like me, and you will get the very first one out of the box. So good luck and have fun. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you again for spending and sharing your time with me. I sincerely appreciate you. Just a couple of quick reminders. I'd love to hear your thoughts about what Kevin shared this week. Come be part of the community and conversation over in the clubhouse at www.radio.com slash clubhouse. If you have a question you want me to answer on the show, you can email me, lou at www.radio.com, or call the voicemail at 407-900-9391 that's 407-900-WDW1 and I will play it on the air you can also connect with me on social I am at Lou Mangiello on Instagram Facebook, LinkedIn and be sure to like the WW Radio page on Facebook and turn on notifications so you don't miss a thing, including our live show every Wednesday night at WDWRadioLive.com. I'll either be out and about in the parks or resorts or sometimes from the home studio where we can talk not just about this week's show, but what's new and news in Walt Disney World I have a very interesting show about the Disney treasure coming up this Wednesday. It's live, unscripted, and you can be part of the show by joining live in the chat room again every Wednesday, 7.30 p.m. Eastern at www.radiolive.com. Of course, still, nothing beats a handshake and a hug since our very first meet of the month in Walt Disney World in January 2008. I love being able to meet you, say hi, and let you meet other members of the WW Radio family. Thanks to everybody who came out to our On the Road event this past week in Denver at the Gaylord Rockies. I sincerely appreciate you coming out spending and sharing some time I know some of you drove very very far it was great to see and spend what I thought was going to be an hour with you that lasted three hours sounds like a podcast I beat you to the joke but check out the events page at www.radio.com events for our next meet of the month in Walt Disney World on the road events cruises and adventures by Disney we're going to have some announcements about some of those coming up very very soon and speaking of events I only have four seats left for my Momentum weekend workshop in Walt Disney World September 29th through October 1st you can visit Lumonjello.com slash Momentum for more information but if you are looking to build your business and brand or take your idea blog podcast content service or product to the next level I invite you to Momentum it's three days one room 20 sessions 50 entrepreneurs plus you get a 150 page plus workbook filled with exercises templates tools resources goal setting strategies mindset productivity and a lot more plus you can save 100 off your ticket by using discount code unlock 100 and oh by the way did i mention it's in walt disney world and it's during Food & Wine Festival. If you're looking for a reason or an excuse, the kids are back in school, the weather's getting cooler, it's Food & Wine Festival, you can save $100, and it's an event that I promise you will have a positive impact, not just on your business, but your life as well, and if you have any questions, just email me, lou at www.radio.com. And if you're coming out to Momentum, to the festival, if you're going to Aulani, Disneyland, somewhere overseas, please go and visit our friends over at mousefantravel.com. They're my official, recommended, most importantly, my trusted travel provider who will give you not just the best possible prices, but all available discounts. And again, most importantly, and an unbelievable level of personal service that really is their hallmark. It's who I use, it's who I trust, which is why I recommend them to you. Go and visit them over at mousefantravel.com. And as always, my friend, and you are my friend, whether we have met yet or not, All I ask is that if you like the show, please help spread the word, tell a friend, share a link to this or your favorite episode on social. If you're listening on your phone, take a screenshot, share, I mean, unless you're driving, take a screenshot, share it on social, tag me at Lumangello and I will follow it and reshare it as well. And if you can take just a couple seconds to rate and review the show over an Apple podcast. I want to thank some recent reviewers like Kira Pog, who says Disney passion and joy wrapped up in a beautifully produced audio experience. I've been listening to Lou and WWE for years. I'm so grateful to Lou for the incredibly detailed content he shares for the community he built. We built it together Kira for giving Disney fans a place to go where other people really understand why we cry when we enter magic kingdom. I feel you. And for encouraging us to all choose the good The podcast is incredibly well done. Thank you. And you can tell there is so much creativity and intention in every episode. I love hearing from Lou's family and friends in the podcast as well. It just emphasizes the family atmosphere he's cultivated. I've done coaching with Lou and was lucky to meet him during a Run Disney event. And the passionate, friendly, and kind person you hear on the podcast, are you going to make me cry, is the same person who gives you a hug and a handshake Our family loves this show. Thank you, Lou. Kira, thank you for not just your kind words and listening, but the time we've gotten to spend together. I sincerely, sincerely appreciate it. I'm going to save this one. If I'm ever feeling bad about myself, I'm just going to go back and read it. So thank you very much. If you're listening on Spotify, you can't necessarily leave a review there, but you can rate the show there and also check out the weekly Q&A that you can answer right in the app as well. And finally, like Kira said, please always remember to choose the good genuinely embrace and share a philosophy of positivity and simply just spread kindness to others. I promise your actions will inspire others to do the same. It has an amazing, wonderful, beautiful, positive ripple effect. I love you. I appreciate you. I hope to see you on Wednesday during the live show and back here on the podcast again next week. So until next time, see ya.
3: Hi Lou. It's Tom free in Manhattan. I just listened to your episode, The Top Ten Places We'd Love to Sleep Overnight at Walt Disney World, and you invited us to call in and say where we would like to sleep overnight at Walt Disney World. And the first thing I thought of was Main Street USA at the Magic Kingdom. Um, I'd love to sleep on the ground or on a bench, probably in a very well-padded sleeping bag in the town square where they do the uh, the daily flag ceremony uh, and sleep facing the castle so I could see the castle at the end of Main Street with lights on um, before I went to sleep, and the minute I woke up, I think that would be awesome. I also think it would be fun to sleep on a monorail, continuously running, uh, you know, with no stop- stops or announcements, no, you know, please stand clear of the doors, por favor, et cetera, <laughs> waking me up every, uh 30 seconds, um, maybe the the route between Magic Kingdom and Epcot in one continuous loop all night, because it would be like sleeping on a very smooth riding train. And while we're at it, the Skyliner, again, on a continuous loop without announcements or stops, um, uh, which would be, I think, a little like sleeping on a plane with the occasional dip and <laughs> ascent, and with equally spectacular views and um I think that would be awesome, very isolated too so thanks to you and Tim for a very fun and, and really creative episode, great idea for an episode and thank you for everything as always, take care, bye Hey Lou, this is Fernando calling from Fort Worth Tech and I just wanted to share how much I enjoy everything you do, but as I was listening to your latest podcast, I thought the perfect place to sleep in any of the attractions would be in Pigment House. I know it's upside down. I know it's on the ceiling, but I just think that would be the um, the most amazing place to sleep. So I don't know if anybody else would be interested in in that one, but that would be my top choice. So thank you very much for everything you do. I hope you have a safe trip in Colorado, and we'll see you soon. Thank you. Hi, it's
1: Elizabeth from Massachusetts. Um, I just finished listening. It's episode 739 about places that we would want to sleep over or stay overnight in Disney World. And I'm so glad that you brought up the house and living with the Land, because that's always been mine. I also think that one that would be a lot of fun. I just love this little cruise. It's my all-time favorite ride is getting to sleep over in one of the boats. That would be so cool. Um, But, yeah, just coming home, actually, yesterday from a trip to the world with my family, um, we had an amazing time. Uh, One thing that my dad hasn't been in years and years, and one thing that I do think sometimes as fans, we even take for granted, and he kept saying it, was how impressed he was with how many people, you know, are on property and at the resort in general, uh, going in and out of the parks, moving around, and how Disney does such a great job at moving just masses and masses of people every single day. Um, So, yeah, it was nice to travel with some people who haven't gone in a while and kind of just remind me as someone who goes uh, more often, like hey, yeah, this place is pretty impressive. And sometimes there's certain things that we take for granted as constant tests. So anyway, just thought I'd throw that in there. Because yeah, Disney does an amazing job at what they do. Um, yeah, I hope everyone's having a great end of their summer. I go back to school on Monday. I'm kind of ready for the routine again. I'm not ready for getting up at like six in the morning. So we'll see how it goes. Uh, stay go be magical.